0: The Telegraph. the Telegraph.
1: Podcasts. You don't get settings much more British or historic than the Travellers Club. This gentleman's club on London's Pall Mall is more than 200 years old. It was established after Napoleon was defeated at Waterloo as a place for diplomats to gather, gossip, and keep the peace. Prime Ministers and Foreign Secretaries are on the list of past members. His Royal Highness Prince Philip, the Queen's husband, is the patron. It was also, in the autumn of 2016, at the epicentre of one of the most sensitive FBI investigations in modern American history. George Papadopoulos, a campaign adviser to Donald Trump, had been called to meet an American academic to discuss writing a policy paper. The request seemed innocuous enough. Yet after the gin and tonics were poured, his host started zoning in on a
2: single, unrelated topic. Russia. Just open-ended questions. Trump and you are involved in a conspiracy, right? You are helping Trump in a conspiracy, right? I mean, it was him asking questions and me sitting there befuddled. The grilling was unremitting and uncomfortable. Probably 15, 20 minutes. I mean, it was a long, it was just, you're panicking almost, you know, because you're either, you're, what's the word? You're, not your intuition, but your reptile brain or whatever it's called, you know, your survival mechanism kicks in at that point because you understand you're in danger in a particular situation. I felt in danger at that moment, not physical danger, of course, but I felt that this person was trying to cause some harm The man doing the questioning was Stefan
1: Halper. He was a professor, a foreign policy expert based at Cambridge University. But that day, he was something else as well, an FBI informant. Every single word was being secretly recorded. The meeting was a sting. I'm Ben Riley smith The Telegraph's US editor. And this is Crossfire, episode four, The Don. This episode is all about subterfuge. When is it acceptable to mislead someone, even advisers to a potential president, for the public good? Where is the line between protecting national interest and meddling in political process? And do we trust those in power to stick by it? The subject under scrutiny is perhaps the most controversial decision the FBI made as it probed alleged ties between Trump and Russia. It decided to send a confidential human source, or CHIS as it's known, thanks to the acronym, to covertly interview Trump campaign figures. To spy, as critics put it. The man selected was Stefan Halper. The targets, Papadopoulos, Carter Page and Sam Clovis, all fully pledged members of Team Trump. You'll hear from all three of them about their meetings with Halper, the things they were asked, their thoughts at the time. Throughout, I want you to consider a single question, a question that's gripped and divided Washington. Was what Halper and the FBI did justifiable? I've come to Magdalen College in Cambridge. This is where Stefan Halper was based after he turned from the US government towards academia. It's a lovely old college, dates back to 1428. And the main site is an old red faded brick building that sits by the river Cam. This morning, There are a few dozen punts opposite and the employees are just getting them ready for the morning tourist rush, putting out cushions and rugs. It was here that Halper was based, working at the Department of Politics and International Studies. He became a fixture on the Cambridge academic scene, writing papers, giving lectures and attending seminars. But what his colleagues didn't know was during that summer of 2016, He also allegedly was working for someone else, the FBI.
3: And I want to say this to the television audience. I made my mistakes.
1: Helper's road to Cambridge can be traced all the way back to the White House and more specifically to Richard Nixon.
3: I've earned every cent. And in all of my years of public life, I have never obstructed
1: justice. In 1971, near the end of Nixon's first term, Halper secured a job in the domestic council, sort of internal policy think tank. He would stay at the White House for the next six years, having a ringside seat for the disintegration of the Nixon presidency, the descent into infamy.
3: Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got.
1: Imagine what it must have been like, aged in your 20s, watching the Watergate scandal unfold from the inside. The backlash, the lies, Nixon's resignation, the first ever by a US president. Whatever he saw, Halper wasn't deterred. He would serve in office for three Republican presidents, Nixon, Ford and Reagan, before turning to academia.
4: This is a very loquacious and uh, easy to get to... No gentleman in the sense that he's very friendly, outward-facing, outgoing. and
1: To understand Halper's background better, I talked to Carol Lennig, a Washington Post reporter who helped break the story of his involvement in the Trump-Russia probe.
4: He has a long history, decades of work for the CIA. He has a lot of contacts with Republicans. And he also has a lot of ties from that life that he's led a lot of ties to U.S. intelligence and British intelligence. His first wife was the daughter of a former CIA deputy director, uh, Ray Klein, and a lot of Stephen Halper's knowledge about the intelligence services came from his father-in-law and and getting to know him and getting to know the agency that, that spies for the United States on all sorts of foreign officials and foreign government operations to protect our national security. He would host uh, a lot of salons and talks, places where political intelligence and national security professionals would gather to discuss matters of the day. He is a person who could get a lot of information out of people because he is so good at um, chatting them up, I guess is the best way to put it.
1: As it happens, I actually had my own brush by with Halper. It came around 10 years ago when he was at Cambridge University. I was studying history there. Halper had moved in the early 2000s, escaping the DC beltway to teach and research. I was writing a dissertation on how the 9-11 attacks impacted US foreign policy and realised Halper had advised George W. Bush's presidential campaign. He agreed to an interview. To be honest, I don't remember much about the content of the chat. We never met face to face, talking on the phone for around half an hour. But I do roughly recall his manner. It was academic, yet friendly. There was no pretentiousness. I seem to remember liking him. Halper's recruitment to the FBI for its Russia probe was swift and circumstantial. He'd worked as a chiz years earlier, but had fallen out of favour with the bureau. In August 2016, with an investigation into Trump campaign connections to Russia up and running, the FBI reached out again. During a meeting, Halper mentioned in passing he had met Carter Page, one of the men the FBI were looking at. He was also acquainted with other Trump figures in the crosshairs. Within days, Halper was hired. The brief was simple. Approach the Trump advisers and subtly ask about Russian links. First up, Carter Page. Page, it's fair to say, is wary of journalists. But he agreed to chat twice with me, once in Washington and once in London. It was in London he talked about Halper. Page's story could fill a book on its own, to be honest, and we don't have time to unpack all the strands. So I'll boil it down to four key facts. One, Page was hired to advise the Trump campaign on foreign policy. He was a political novice and a DC outsider who once lived in Moscow. Two, Page backed a newer, closer relationship with Russia, just like Trump. During the campaign, he gave a controversial speech in Moscow excoriating Obama's foreign policy. Three, Page became a key target of the FBI probe. The Bureau got approval for wiretaps, which would later become controversial, and allegations of his ties to Russia featured in Christopher Steele's dossier. And four, he was ultimately never charged with a crime. I asked Paige about when he first met Halper during a conference at Magdalen College, Cambridge, in July 2016. You know, this is like
3: three summers ago, I mean, and uh, I think it was at a dinner the first night when I arrived on a Sunday evening uh, after a couple of flights across the Atlantic. It's all sort of a blur at this stage. And do you remember at all what you chatted about? Is it general stuff or...? All kinds of general stuff. It was a conference over several days, so with dozens of people there, so it's, it's
1: easy to conflate. A lot of Paige's answers on Halper are just like this vague on details. At the time we were talking, August 2019, some of what Halper got up to was still unknown. Paige, who was in his 40s and bold, spoke with an intensity when he leant into a subject this was not such an occasion. The chance Cambridge encounter happened before Halper was helping the FBI. But afterwards, four meetings followed. Two were before the election, including one at Halper's home in Virginia. After each chat, we now know, Halper would report back to his bosses at the Bureau. So, did they discuss Russia? I'm sure we
3: must have talked about Russia. You know, I don't, I don't recall any specifics, but, you know, it's an important country in the geopolitical sphere. And, you know, I had spent some time over there. So, you know, I'm sure it came up. But I don't, the specifics of those conversations three plus summers ago, is,
1: uh, it's a blur at this stage. Would it have been about how you counter Russia or how you strike up a relationship with Putin? I can't recall. For all of Page's reticence to open up on Halper, he was fascinating on one aspect. I wanted to understand why he kept meeting Halper, the academic in his 70s who he barely knew. Page told me to remember his situation. An article had been published in September detailing his alleged meetings with Russian officials during that Moscow speech trip. There was a massive backlash. It forced him to leave the campaign. There was intense speculation about his activities, critics casting him as a pariah, the cog in some vast Trump-Russia conspiracy. And here was Halper, a veteran of Republican politics and a scholar at Cambridge, offering support and kind words. The word "page" used was sympathetic. Most people didn't even want to talk to me. Again,
3: I'm a guy getting death threats. I'm a guy whose life has been totally turned upside down. He, when I use the term sympathetic, I'm saying he's actually, you know, when everyone is kind of avoiding me, he's someone who sort of is, you know, the, the example I, I give is uh, Harriet Tubman, someone during the slavery period when people's civil rights were being infringed upon, she would like stick up for the little guy. And he struck me as someone, you know, kind of like a Harriet Tubman
1: type figure. Harriet Tubman. She was enslaved in the 1800s, but broke free, then risked everything to help others to do the same. She was an American hero. I'll leave you to decide on the virtues of Page's comparison. Nevertheless, Page saw Halper as someone willing to lend a hand when others didn't. And he grabbed it, never suspecting a thing. When we talked, much had been reported already about Halper's activities. Yet Page repeatedly declined to direct any blame his way. Obviously, the allegation is that Halper was acting on behalf of the FBI. Did you ever have any suspicions that that's what was motivating his interactions with you? Never. Really? So what do you make of all these claims now that are in the public?
3: We'll see. You know, I follow the opposite of the totally unprofessional activities by Christopher Steele, the DNC consultant, who throws around all kinds of allegations, tries to spread it all over the place. I don't do that. You know, I would like to know the facts. But in your heart of hearts, do you think Halper was a spy? You know, I don't speculate. You know, I don't uh, I don't cast aspersions
1: when, you know, I don't know the details. So we'll have to wait and see. At the same time as Halper was winning over Carter Page, he was making other approaches, including to Sam Clovis. Clovis was much more senior. His title was national co-chair of the Trump campaign. That meant being in Washington and trying to keep the bandwagon rolling. He was also older than Page, in his 60s at the time. A portly gentleman with slicked-back grey hair and a grey moustache. Clovis was not specifically being investigated by the FBI, as Paige was. They talked to him, in part, for context. And lastly, unlike Paige, he was spitting mad about how Halper had behaved. Clovis agreed to talk to me over the phone, speaking from a hotel room in April. He described how Halper got in touch, out of the blue, over email. Calling himself a scholar-practitioner, and suggesting they meet,
5: he wanted to offer his expertise to the campaign. He had written uh, several papers on China. Never a discussion. On- the
1: pair eventually sat down in the lobby of the DoubleTree Inn, Clovis's hotel on the edge of Washington, on September the first, 2016. About two months before the vote, it was the only time they met.
5: And he came in, and we uh, discussed his research. It was He just offered up the fact that he was an expert in foreign policy. And I was very cordial. It was like a couple of faculty members meeting in the faculty lounge uh, over a cup of coffee.
1: At any point, did Stefan bring up Russia or ask about Russia?
5: Not at all. Never. Not once was Russia ever mentioned. I'm always suspicious. I was always suspicious of, of people who came to us in a one-off fashion. Um, he was not referred to me by anybody in the campaign other than Carter. And Carter and I are friends, by the way. I just uh, make that very clear. We developed a great friendship during the campaign. And I trusted Carter's judgment. And, uh, and I took the meeting based on what Carter had said. And that was the only reason I took the meeting.
1: In Clovis's telling, the conversation was innocuous. But Halper's deception, once it came to light, has left him furious...
5: I don't know who was behind this, but I will tell you this, whoever it was, I hope they get punished for it.
1: He believes the FBI's willingness to jupe a senior member of a presidential campaign was reprehensible.
5: What they tried to do was nothing short of attempting uh, to overturn the results of a duly conducted election. And that is a despicable, shameful set of uh, events.
1: What do you say to those who argue that Stefan Halper was actually acting like a patriotic American. The FBI had an investigation into Russian links with the Trump campaign. He was sussing it out on their behalf. He was doing something in the public good rather than trying to frame or trap the campaign.
5: That's bull. There was nothing in the public good about trying to overturn an election. That's nonsense. What kind of guidance and what kind of thinking is that? To think that what to come in and try to create a criminal enterprise criminal activity on the part of us, if there was a problem, why didn't they approach the campaign to start with to tell us that they thought that the Russians were trying to approach us? They didn't do that. So it tells me that they had the motivation was there all along was to try to create circumstances that would allow them to entrap the campaign and to bring people into that and to put us in a circumstance where they could rise up to the point of of taking down a duly-elected president.
1: As it happens, we know some of what Clovis told Halper, and what Carter Page said too. Why? Because Halper was recording every word. Just before last Christmas, a mammoth report dropped from the FBI's Inspector General, a kind of internal watchdog, looking at how the Trump-Russia probe was handled. In it was 20 pages revealing how Source 2 was used. Halper is never named, but the biographic info and specific details on meetings make clear it's him. Parts of the transcripts made from key conversations are even quoted in the Inspector General's report. Clovis, it seems, was right. He hadn't said anything controversial. As one case agent put it, the conversation wasn't germane to any of the investigative activity. Page's comments were of more interest. When prompted, he discussed the possibility of an October surprise, a sudden revelation the month before the election. He talked about setting up a think tank which the Russians could fund and mused about future email dumps from WikiLeaks. I really can't stress enough how bizarre it is reading quotes from a conversation someone thought was private with a man secretly recording it all. The FBI ultimately didn't intervene after the early Page and Clovis meetings. However, they had a third target and a much more elaborate plan in mind. Well, I'm sitting in the Travelers Club, one of London's grand gentlemen's clubs just off Pall Mall. It's as grand as you'd expect. Plush red carpets, brown leather sofas, some vast oil paintings of various aristos hanging from the wall. And it was here one night in 2016 that George Papadopoulos and Stefan Halper met to have a drink. Up to that point, Papadopoulos had thought their relationship was purely a business one. But during that evening, the discussion they had begun to make him suspicious.
2: So sometime in September of 2016, I'm in New York and I get an email from Stefan Halper. This is the first time George Papadopoulos had ever heard from Halper. Hi, I'm a Cambridge professor. I know you're a recognised expert on energy in the Mediterranean. And I want to pay you some money and I want to get to know you and I want you to come write a report for me and I want to bring you to London. I said, okay, let me see who this person is. I've never heard of him in my life. I Google him like anybody could Google him right now and you'll see he worked for four US presidents, around 73 years old, morbidly obese guy, like an armchair strategist type. I mean, I said, yeah, okay, maybe this will help me with Trump, actually. That's what my initial impression was. Like, hey, you know, this guy looks big time and he wants to meet with me and uh, I'll go and see him. And see what it's all about. So that's how he reached out.
1: To Papadopoulos, the approach seemed innocent enough. Little did he know just how much work lay behind it. We now know that it was the first piece in a carefully choreographed FBI operation. Back in episode one, we heard how Papadopoulos kick-started this entire investigation, by letting slip the Russians had hacked Clinton emails before they were public. Now, to get him talking again, the FBI tried to recreate the scene. They chose a gentleman's club to replicate the Kensington wine rooms, where Papadopoulos had blabbed, another plush venue where drinks could loosen lips. They agreed to pay Papadopoulos $3,000 for his policy paper, which they didn't care about, just to convince him to meet Halper. And this time, Halper wasn't alone. The FBI sent two case agents and a staff operations specialist along for the mission. This was big. The day was split into two. First, Papadopoulos and Halper met in the morning to discuss the project over brunch, a kind of warming up at the target. Once over, the FBI team debriefed. Halper had again been recording and they decided Papadopoulos was responding in a deferential mode. So they scheduled a second meeting that
2: afternoon for more casual drinks.
1: And where in the Travelers Club were you?
2: One of these private rooms, I can't remember exactly. I mean, it's a private members club. I just remember these old paintings and just a beautiful round old wooden table, it was just a very beautiful place. It's uh, right out of one of these um, spy movies, I guess, with these locations and all the, the women and the spies and the traveling. It was just, it was a, I mean, I look back at it, it was such a, such a strange uh, thriller. Papadopoulos was
1: impressed by the surroundings in the Travelers Club. The plan seemed to be working. Do you remember what you were drinking and it's a petty question?
2: Another gin and tonic. That was, that's my drink. I like uh, <laughs> I like my gin and tonic, so I uh, enjoyed another one with him before I told him I got to go.
1: What was he having?
2: The same. Same.
1: And can you just, was it a brief conversation, long conversation? Can you describe how it, do you remember, if it immediately went onto those topics or there was other stuff you'd said? I think it before? went
2: immediately onto those topics, actually. So what was he what was he asking then? Just open-ended questions. Trump and you are involved in a conspiracy, right? You are helping Trump in a conspiracy, right? I mean, it was him asking questions and me sitting there befuddled. The pretext was, I want your ideas, but then I'm going to try and dirty you up. And that's what he was trying to do, I believe. The meeting notes from the
1: Inspector General report backs this up. The brief, they say, was to ask directly whether the Trump campaign benefited from or had knowledge of Russian assistance in damaging the Clinton campaign. It also reveals Papadopoulos' response, a categorical pushback. Help from the Russians would be illegal, he's quoted saying. The campaign does not support what's happening. Working with spies would be treason. In fact, the denial was so strong that the FBI team smelled a rat. One agent called the response weird, the conversation suddenly flipping from free-flowing to canned.
2: For Papadopoulos, it was Halper who was the one
1: acting weirdly.
2: You know, I think just trying to get me to say something that didn't happen, or maybe he thought I was a young guy who would want to talk up myself and say something stupid, and then that could be used again as a pretext for something else. Shortly after
1: the drink, Papadopoulos was on his way home to America. He would write the paper and collect his three grand, but would never see Halper again. One man's voice in this entire story is, of course, missing. Halper. He's not spoken publicly since being outed in the papers. I reached out repeatedly in the hope he might agree to talk, but it was always a no. Officially, Halper's never been named by the FBI as a source in the probe. But nor has there ever been a denial from the bureau or Halper himself. Donald Trump's view of how Halper acted is clear.
0: A lot of people are saying they had spies in my campaign. If they had spies in my campaign, that would be a disgrace to this country. That would be one of the biggest insults that anyone's ever seen and it would be very illegal. So it would make probably every political event ever look like small potatoes.
1: Aside from the hyperbole, I don't think this criticism should be dismissed out of hand. The Bureau, after all, got someone to secretly record meetings with people working on a live presidential campaign. Imagine that happening in a British election. It is a remarkable fact and a decision of huge significance. But perhaps it's so remarkable because the allegations faced by the FBI of Kremlin interference and hidden connections were themselves so unprecedented and urgent. And it's worth noting the FBI were clearly sensitive to the question of unduly influencing the election. After all, they kept this probe under wraps until after votes were cast. Most people I approached who knew Halper were wary of talking fearing becoming wrapped up in the legal and political fallout from the probe. But one British friend, familiar with what happened, mounted a defence. Steph, the person said, was not penetrating the campaign. What he did was bread and butter stuff. The FBI had a counterintelligence investigation. They knew Halper, they asked him for help, and he obliged. He was, to quote the source, being a loyal American citizen. Which side is right? If you back what Halper did, how would you feel if the FBI started investigating another candidate in secret on the eve of an election? Or if you think he betrayed his country, how serious the allegations have to be before the law can investigate a presidential campaign? In today's Washington, loyalty, like beauty, is in the eye of the beholder. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Crossfire from The Telegraph. Subscribe to this feed to make sure you don't miss it. And in the meantime, you can read more about this story, including details that we just couldn't fit in, at telegraph.co.uk. Forward slash Crossfire.
0: Next week on Crossfire.
1: This was playing out in the luxurious red brick apartment block in West London, just two minutes walk from Harrods. It was incredible. WikiLeaks, I love WikiLeaks.
3: I'd have gone to London to see Assange. I would have rung the bell. There is no
2: conspiracy.
0: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.